Welcome to My Life, Chassidus Applied, episode 337. This program is dedicated by Nachama Tarlo in memory of Yeshef Fitzok ben Ruven Sheyichia. We are now in the last week of Sefer Breshis. We'll be reading Parshas Vayechi Chazak, the conclusion of the first of the five Hamishi Chum So, following the directive of the Alter Rebbe, living with the time, with the parsha we read during that time. Let's speak a moment about Vayechi, because that reveals for us the essence and the energy of this week, which, just as a short intro, is itself a lesson in life. Life is not a monotonous routine. It's not repeating itself. Every moment, every minute, every hour, and every day is brimming with new energy, pulsating energy. And every week has its particular power. So when you're able to tap into that, immediately relieves that boredom that comes so often by repeating and fixed routines and patterns. So much of chassidus is about helping us free ourselves from that trap, the trap of teva, nature, so this explains nature comes from the word tovu biyamsuf, submerged, s- sunk in. That when you look at the water at the surface, it all seems pretty simple. And you don't see the complexity of the entire ecosystems beneath the sea. Nature covers up all the energy that's within it. And it's our mission, our job is to reveal that energy, that divine energy, fuse matter and spirit and thereby revealing the divine purpose in everything that exists. So the Pasha each, help, each week helps us do that by focusing on what the theme of the week is. Now, Vayechi has many themes. Let's begin with the name itself. Vayechi Yaakov, the Rebbe, emphasizes so often how a name captures the very core essence of, that, of the thing called by that name. Vayechi, interesting name. When you start reading the chapter, you think it's all about Yaakov's life, and indeed it's not. This is about the 17 last years of his life, that he lived there from 130 till, 140, when, till he was 147 when he was nostalgic, when he passed away. But yet the parsha is called Vayechi. So the similar question is asked about Chayasara. When you read there as well, it's not the life of Sarah. You read, immediately read about her passing and her burial and everything that happened subsequent to her passing. The same thing with Vayechi. And the answer is in the Maimar Chazal. Tzadikim gam b'misosam kruyim chayim. A tzadik, even in their death, they're called alive. Rishoyim, wicked people, even in their lifetimes, gam b'chayim kruyim mesim, they're called the opposite of life. Why? Because life is not defined by by biological medical definitions. It's defined by the impact you've had. And when do you see the impact of a person's life? It's not while they're walking a soul and a body. Obviously, they have some impact then. It's when they're physically not here. And yet, their life, their legacy, everything they sacrificed their lives for, everything they stood for, lives on. And that's what you see in this week's parasha, how it lives on in the Shvatim, in Yosef, and it would give them strength, the Jewish people, as we read the next week's chapter, when things turn south, to put it mildly. And the Jews are enslaved by Vayakam al-Khalish, a new king, either a literally new king or one who conveniently forgot the favors done by Yosef and, and, uh, and his family, and by extension his family. And the end of the Pasha, Vayisum Arun b'Mitzrayim, and the last Pasha is when they actually place his Arun b'Mitzrayim, talking about Yosef. Yosef also passes away as do the Shvatim in this week's chapter. And Yosef is placed in Mitzrayim in stark contrast to his father who asked specifically to be taken back to Eretz Yisrael to be placed in Hebron, the Ira Ovis, the Mu'aras HaMachpela together with his wife Leah and prior to that Rivka and Yitzchok, Sora and Avram and Chava and Adam and Chava. So the Rebbe asked a question in Tavshim Mem Zayin, powerful Sikha Vayichi, this week's Parsha. 
why is it that Yesav did not ask also to be taken back to Eretz Yisrael? Did, his, did he want his grave to become a shrine for the Egyptians? And the Rebbe answers an unbelievable answer. Yaakov's inyan was Atzilus, was Elam HaGadusha. He came to Mitzrayim because there was, Lebishter wanted him to be there. Yorad Yoradnu, there was a need for him to be there to bring the Jewish people there. But his personality was Oves Heinheina Markova. And their union is Atzilus, specifically Yaakov Teferis of Atzilus. Atzilus is Kulegdusha, holiness. He belongs in Eretz Yisrael. Yesaf was Yesod of Atzilus. Yesod connects with Malchus and Yesod enters and gives the power to enter into Biyah. That's why Yesaf Hurad Mitzrayma, he ended up being in Egypt. As he says to his brothers, it was not due to you because God wanted me to be in Egypt to bring into Biyah Alma de Pruda, a world of, diver- of uh, divisiveness, of separation, of fragmentation, to bring there the unity and the vision of Atzilus. That's why he was the first accountant, the Jewish accountant. He developed the entire grain industry, which was this, that turned Egypt into a superpower, and yet he maintained the integrity of his connection. Unlike his brothers and his, and his, father's, his father and his grandparents, who were shepherds, Yosef was immersed in the commerce of Egypt, and yet remained who he was in the purest form. So where does Yosef belong? In Biyah. That's why Yosef remains in Mitzrayim. Not because he belongs in Mitzrayim, because the Jewish people are there, and he would be a reminder, because he gave them, he took the, made them take an oath that when they would leave this God-forsaken place, 210 years later, after the exile ended, or whatever amount of years it was, that they would take him back to Eretz Yisrael with them. So he remained in Biyah, he remained in Golos, Mitzrayim, he remained in the dark place, reminding them of Atzilus, reminding them of the promise that they would be redeemed, and it gave them that strength and that hope. And the Rebbe says, similarly, the Friedrich Rebbe, the Yosef of our generation, whose name was Yosef Fitzchok, Friedrich Rebbe, who this year is going to be 71 years from when the Friedrich Rebbe's Estalkus, Yutzvat, is coming up next month, 70 years from the Rebbe officially assumed leadership, Tovshin Yudalef and said Bosiligani, the famous Bosiligani, that the Friedrich Rebbe also did not go to Yisrael. He remains here with us in Golis, in America, in Chatzik until the Gula will come. So it teaches us two key messages, this chapter. Number one, what Yechi is, true living. The true living of Yaakov continues to live on afterwards, and even in Biyah. Even in our physical world, through his son Yosef. And the second thing is that we have Yosef among us. So, no matter how challenging and how difficult the situation is, we have something that reminds us, that connects us, that prays for us. Similar to what Yaakov tells Yosef about Rachel, that she was buried, even though she was buried on the road, because Rachel Mavak al Banel, she cries for her children, she wants to see her children as they are exiled out of Jerusalem during the destruction of the temples. That's why, Yaakov says, Yaakov says, that's why she was buried there. I'm asking you the courtesy to take me to Yitzhak, even though your mother was there, because your mother needed to be there. In a way, Yesuf continues that even more than on the road, because that's still in Yitzhak. And Yesuf carries it all the way into Egypt. Egypt, we know, all the Goliaths are called by the name Egypt, because Mitzrayim is Mitziris is oppresses as an affliction, it's a narrow constraint, so it reflects all the inhibitions, fears, insecurities. Everything that we experience internally and externally is a Mitzrayim, and yet we have the Yesaf with us that carries the Vayichiyak of true life. Okay. A little housekeeping. So this is my life, of course, Chassidus Applied. We have a special website called chassidusapplied.com where you can find a forum where you can submit any question. Every question will be addressed. I'm actually going back now to questions that were presented before COVID. That took over. We addressed that, of course, primarily. And you can also see there all the archives of the previous episodes, um, which are now 336 episodes, as well as other resources, including the essays that submitted over the past six years, now also creative, but also written essays, of uh, all topic covering every possible topic, citizensupply.com. With that said, a little um, 
cross-reference regarding Vayichi, I've spoken about it obviously in previous years, episodes 49, 95, 144, and 140, uh, I'm sorry, 49, 95, 194, 240, and 290. I want to read of one or two testimonials, which I found to be interesting, and always thank you for appreciate your comments. I appreciate all comments, critique, positive, questions, rebuttals. So this is an open forum, as any of you who have been listening know. I, I live up to my word, which is I will read any topic, and nothing is taboo. Obviously, sometimes things have to be phrased in ways that are more that are not um, in any way uh, offensive to anyone or hurtful or uh, in any way not modest enough. But nevertheless, everything is addressed here. So I always appreciate comments. I'm just going to read several of them and respond to the ones that are here. Are your current IM based shiurim available online? Absolutely. The current, I give a shir every morning in IM Bays, Hemshech IM Bays of the Rebbe Rashab. You can go to imbays.com and you see the resources. It's a live Zoom and YouTube. Just go to chsidisapply.com and you'll see the links. Follow the chsidis links to I am Bayes and you'll see all the places to be able to the Zoom address as well as the YouTube link where you can watch and listen to it as well as download it, podcast and so on. I also give now, began giving five weeks ago and I am Bayes here once a week every Thursday morning. Uh, the the I am Bayes every morning is at 9.30 a.m. on Sundays, 10 a.m the uh, Eastern, Eastern's time. The uh, Thursday one is 8.45 in the Koilel, and I go through generally one mimer a week, just a summary of the week. I'm up to mimer four. And that too can be stacked, can be seen at Koilel, K-O-L-E-L dot N-Y-C. And um, please participate and join us. Here's a comment that I'd like to read. This is, I'm reading it exactly it was written. So please bear with me. I'm a local apicatus that watches and enjoys your Sunday night broadcast. Sometimes I send in questions anonymously. Even if I don't always agree with your answers, the fact that you read the questions and discuss them makes me feel taken seriously. One of the many reasons I identify as an apicatus is that when I was an adolescent in yeshiva, my teachers brushed off my questions and didn't take me seriously. So I want to say thank you. May God Almighty bless you, your family, your friends, our community, our community and the entire Klal Yisrael with an abundance of good news and overflowing parnosa from God's open hand of chesed and may we enjoy it in the best of health. Between us, I'm the guy that we met and, we, and wished you a happy Hanukkah. I hope your Hanukkah was happy that just as we increase the light each night of Hanukkah, so too the light should increase in your life, in all matters physically and spiritually, and keep increasing and illuminating your surroundings throughout the year. When I win the lottery, expect a big donation. Until then, I'm just a person who's struggling to pay rent on time, so I'm only able to send in small donations here and there. Deeply appreciated. I'm not going to comment on the way you titled yourself. Everyone Let everyone interpret that as they see fit, especially with a note laden with the references to God. Okay, another testimonial. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. I just wanted to thank you from the bottom of my heart for all your effort you put into your weekly My Life episodes. I'm a bacha getting married in a few weeks, had a very difficult childhood, and gained tremendously from your weekly broadcast. My whole negative outlook on life in general was transformed from one extreme to the other. I loved how you brought out the Rebbe's view, how you bring out the Rebbe's view on things so clearly. So thanks again, and much Hatzlach. Okay, thank you. For all that, it definitely is encouraging, and it's great to hear feedback. Again, all types of feedback. I'm not going to just read the positive ones. Okay. Since we're coming from Hey Tavis and Nittel, I don't want to say them in the same sentence, there were some questions that um, came in after last week's program, so let me address them quickly and move on throughout through other questions that have been coming in. Is Hey Tavis and Ace Rutzen? Esrat means an auspicious time. So the Rebbe actually used that term, yes. But here's the question. Is Hetevis and Esrat to win court cases for anyone in the community, or is it only a special day that year when the Rebbe won back the books from the other side? 
Well, the Rebbe said it was an Esratzen. An Esratzen means not about court cases necessarily. Esratzen means it's an auspicious time to ask God for everything you need. As a matter of fact, in that year, in Tavshim Zayin, on the second day after Hetevis, the Rebbe said it's an Esratzen and that everyone should write notes. He's going to go to, the Rebbe is going to go to the ale and anything you want to ask, ask for. So he's clearly spelled out that it was, an, it was an, a time for blessings and a time for requests. And clearly that's true every year, hey, Tavis, because of its special quality. Will it help someone for a good cause in a case, in a court case? That may be part of the Esratzen, but I wouldn't limit it to that. Because we're not talking about doing another court case. It's not necessarily compared to the court case. It's not about winning a court case. It was about a, a Gili Mumaila, as we discussed last week, on the power and relevance of the Nitzchias, the eternity of a Rebbe, the Svarim Teira, his connection to Chsidim. So that's the Esratzen. Not about that the case was just a technicality. We'd be like saying, Yutas Kisur is an Esratzen to get out of prison. So first of all, don't get into prison in the first place. But even if you do, is an Esratzen in general, a bracha that every good thing should be any obstacle should be, should be removed, all impediments should be removed to allow the blessings in our lives. Okay. Where did the custom of playing chess on Nittelnacht begin? We know there's a custom. And it's not just a custom that people just do. We know that Eber Ashab, the story with Eber Ashab, that Eber told the story. It's all cited, I should tell you, the source in Vayeshev Tov Shinun, Sicha Vayeshev Tov Shinun, the Rebbe speaks about Nitli, speaks about chess playing, speaks about the lessons that Rebbe Rashab was saying, different lessons from different chess moves. And the Rebbe himself, actually, um, in, a, in Tov Sheches, spoke a Sicha about the lessons that we learn from chess, which is published now in Yemei Breshis. I, happened to schus, I had the Schus to prepare, the Rebbe edited it, which is a rarity. Maybe the only time the Rebbe edited a Sicha of his that he said before Tov Shin Yud, Tov Shin Ches, and uh, so where did the, where did the custom how else, where did the custom begin? I, I did some research. I did research back then in Tov Shinun, and I don't know if there's a source for when begin playing chess. The source for Nitl itself is cited there by Yeshev Tov Shinun. There are different reasons, and ultimately, in Hayyim Yim, the Rebbe Rashab brings there the Rebbe Rashab Nisht He didn't tolerate people who did not who, who did not avoid learning. Because it adds Yenikas, it adds Yenikas Achitzenim. That's what it says there. Why chess? So there in the Sikhi brings chess as wisdom. You learn Hedos and Avedis Hashem from chess, but why Dafka chess? Not 100% clear where that originated from. Also, can you please elaborate on something the Rebbe once said about lessons in Aveda that we can learn from different pieces and ranks on the chessboard? Thank you. So that I refer you to the Sikha and Tav Shenches, printed in Yemei Breshis. There, every piece that Rebbe analyzes, he analyzes the whole chessboard as a battle between Kedusha and the opposite, white and dark. And the goal is to conquer the king, the king of Lu'umazeh, of the negative. But Zelu'umazeh also came, God making them equal, meaning they have equal strengths. So it's an equal battle. And the Rebbe explained how the pawns, are the Anoshim Pshutim, are the simple are the simple foot soldiers brought in Basiligani. They're in the front lines. That's where they one move at a time. The different ministers, whether it's the, whether it's the rook or the horse or the bush, bishop, are all ministers that have, that have the ability, like malachim, angels, to jump many steps, but only in one kav, in one path. The queen is Neshamis Yisrael, Knesset Yisrael, and the Melech, of course, is Melech Malchem Lachem HaKadosh Baruch And the Rebbe explains it at length there, how the Ish Pasha, the simplest, the simple foot soldier, because of his pshittus, his simplicity, he's able to become a queen, the only piece that can become the highest level, which is one and together with the king. Look, check it out, and you'll see there are a lot of details there. I don't want to go through the whole thing. You can look at the lessons learned from chess in that sikhim. The Friedrich Rebbe and the Rebbe play chess. We know that in a famous picture. Also printed there in Tov Shenches. I'm sorry, in uh, Yimei Breshis. There's a famous picture of the Rebbe and the Friedrich Rebbe playing chess. Does anyone know who won the game? So firstly, let me give some background. You can see it there as well. Everyone always thought that it was Nittel Night. Because when else would they play chess? But we discovered that's not the case. It was, the Friedrich Rebbe was in a particular um, retreat place for health reasons. 
and the Rebbe and the, the doctors told him not to exert his mind, and one of the ways was to play chess. That was not exerting his mind. And the Rebbe was there visiting him, so they played a game of chess. There the Rebbe edited, actually, that when they were in the middle of playing, the Friedrich Rebbe sensed that the Rebbe was intentionally not playing at his best to ensure that the Friedrich Rebbe wins. And the Friedrich Rebbe said, you have to play honestly. What we heard was that the Rebbe did that, and the Rebbe ended up winning. But I can't say that definitely. That's what it sounds like from what we've heard. And Okay. Another question about Nittl. Why don't we learn on Nittl night? If the whole purpose of creation is to reveal the divine within the physical world, and that's achieved through Teir and Mitzvah, then how does it make logical sense not to learn Teir on Nittl Nacht, on the night of Nittl? Because it might benefit the Neshama of Yoshke, of the opposite side. On the contrary, that's what Teir does, was eliminate the opposite side. It would make more sense to learn extra Teir or to offset the damage caused by him. How can there be anything wrong with learning Teir? So I addressed this back in episode 194 briefly. Yes, to add to the question, the words of Teda do not receive any impurities. So if to say that Teda is somewhat affected, you can't say that. So you have to say that the mere fact that the Rabbeim did say, that shouldn't be that, any given any strength, that this was such a big event, what happened, the birth of Christianity. And we see that Rambam says, on a positive side, that it was there, the Yashir HaSaderech, that among all its elements, Ashgacha Pratis, from the secrets of divine mysteries, was to pave the way and bring Mashiach to the world. So clearly there was a powerful strength there. And because he came from the world of Torah, we want to make clear that we don't want to give any strength or any type of Nisinus Mokim. So to ignore it, or even to learn extra Torah, clearly he was a power. He was a Le'umazah, very strong power, that Torah gives some strength to that. Could have been the other way around if the Rabbeim said so, yes. But they didn't say so. So you have to say that's the, ultimately the, the explanation. Now obviously, that doesn't mean not to learn Teda, period. It's only a certain period of time. And then you can learn afterwards, more or before. But clearly it's something not to give strength because Christianity, at the end of the day, did receive its energy from a Jew, from Judaism, from a religious Jew, even though he did break Teda and all the other issues regarding him. But since there's something like that, therefore you want to like basically make sure that there doesn't have any type of strength coming from that direction. And ultimately when Mashiach comes, as the Rambam says, only the positive elements will emerge, which is helping the world come closer to Sheva Mitzvah's B'nai Ne'ach and divine unity and Mashiach. Okay. We move now to more questions. As I've said... Um, even though the last months have been very consumed with the pandemic of COVID, still with us, but I've covered a lot of different angles and questions. I don't feel I have to do that this week. If new questions come up, obviously I will address them. Also, the elections definitely dominated headlines and many of our minds and hearts, for good or for bad. So now we can go back, even though I did discuss other topics, obviously, in, 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 inter, in, uh, interspersed among these topics. But now I feel we want to go back to where we were, meaning answering all kinds of questions. And I should qualify again. I did answer questions. I just the, the dominant theme were those themes that I just mentioned, which again have not disappeared yet, but thank God we uh, covered much of it. Well, the question is, how do I become more confident in my life choices? Hello, Rav Simon. Your broadcast is such a breath of fresh air, and I thank you so much for providing, for providing this necessary tool for so many people out there. My question for you today is, how do I feel confident in my decisions? This question really came to me during the Yom Tov of Heitavis this year, when I was buying Sfarim, as the Rebbe had instructed. I know that the Rebbe explained that there, that there is an Indian to buy Sfarim, even if you're not going to use them. But I would assume it's better to buy ones that you will use. 
That being, said, that being said, I find myself having an extremely difficult time deciding which svarim I will use the most. I do already have the ones I will use on a daily, weekly, and even monthly basis. And now, even after I've purchased these books, these svarim, I still find myself second-guessing if I bought the right ones. I then realized that I actually have this problem all the time. Whenever I do something or buy something or make any type of decision, I'm constantly second-guessing myself and feeling extremely unconfident with my decision. Is this a bad thing? And if so, how do I become more confident in my life choices? Thank you so much in advance. Thank you for the question. I'm sure many people have this question at different times in their lives. And it's a part of reality that we are human beings. We're not perfect. We have our insecurities. We have our questions. We have our doubts. Some are legitimate and should be explored before you make a decision. And some may not be. Some may be the negative side, just stopping you from doing what you have to do. So how do you determine that? So we know the famous story of Abnachem Chernobler. Someone once gave him a gift. A gift. A tzdoke. 3,000 ruble. I believe is how the story goes. He put it in a drawer, and a little while later, a woman comes in, she has to marry her for daughter, she needs 3,000 ruble. Amnachem Chernobyl, Hashgach Abrat, is ready to give it to her, but then he had a thought. Maybe it's better to divide the 3,000 ruble and give it to many different people so more people benefit. So he told her to come back tomorrow. Began to contemplate back and forth. The next day, he still didn't have an answer. Come back another day. He kept on delaying because he didn't have an answer. Then he said to himself, something's wrong here. Because bottom line, is still lying in his drawer. No one's getting it. So he realized this is not coming from the positive side, this debate. Why? Because if the Yetzirah had come to him and said, don't give it, keep it for yourself, he, never, he knows it wouldn't succeed. Amnachem was not shy to that. So he came to him with a better way. I'll give you a better mitzvah. A mitzvah for a mitzvah. Give it to others. And meanwhile, he gets paralyzed in doubt. So he realized that's not coming from the right. So he said, what was his first thought? To give it to this woman. Then, before that, he didn't think about dividing it into parts. It only came after he was resolved to give it to her. So he realized the second thought must coming from the other side. He called her, gave her the 3,000 rubles. The lesson is, obviously, many lessons in this. So how do you determine? Well, let's say sometimes there are two options. That's why we have a mashpia and a rav. We ask an objective person or a chaver, a friend, or someone may be an expert in the field that we're dealing with, to just get another opinion. That's number one. Number two, there's an element of betochen, trust in God. Cheves alavavis, and cited in many places, Chsidis and other places, talks about doing your effort and then trusting God that this is the right thing and not starting to second guess yourself. You bought Sfarim, you have them already. So either learning them, or maybe you're learning them tomorrow, or maybe someone in your family will learn them. To start agonizing, should you have bought other ones? The fact that it doesn't have any practical application, that question, tells you it's coming from the wrong place. Just being mavalbi, you, confusing you, and not letting you do what you have to do in Avedis Hashem. That's the litmus test that we learned from Ramnachim. Bottom line is, if you're not doing anything, you're just agonizing, that for sure is not Kedusha, holiness. As the Rambam says, as the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, in a different context, that atzvus, anything, depression or anything that causes you to be demoralized, is not coming from a positive place. You can extend that and say anything that causes you not to do what you need to do is coming from the other side. And to make sure, you always can check with another objective party, as I mentioned. And that's how we become more confident. We rely on God, the resources Hashem blessed us with, but we also rely that once you made a decision, this is a decision, and then work, work, make sure it's for the best. How could buying Svarim be the wrong thing? Start buying. Which Svarim? You know how many Svarim there are out there? You'll never have an answer to that. Ain't Ladova safe? Okay. So in general, confidence is built on a combination of trusting that God gave you resources, intelligence, emotions, advising with another, and... Second part, relying that God is also there behind the scenes helping you to fulfill whatever it is that you made the decision to do. If this should become more chronic and more intense, then definitely you need to talk to someone to make sure that if it's becoming a, a pattern, an OCD pattern or other patterns, 
that control your life, you're not able to make decisions, and you continuously maintain this type of straddling, hanging on a fence, and not making a decision, then definitely you should talk to someone, either a professional or a good rov, someone who understands Torah, Siddhis, and these psychological challenges. Next question. Completely unrelated, or I mean everything is related, but not directly. How do I improve... Teen, how as a teenage girl do I improve my relationship with my father, who is more interested in my spiritual state than my physical one? And I don't know the details, I only hear the question here, but I'm assuming a father, and this can be also a mother, it can be a par- any parent, that is focusing on your religion, your religion basically. How from you are, are you doing all the hidurim, rather than just caring about your welfare, your health, how you're feeling, your mood. I'm assuming that's the question. I don't think it means physical in any other way than that. And spiritual, I assume, means spiritual. In other words, your state of Avedis Hashem, your divine or spiritual state. Because the fact is, healthy parents should care about both aspects. A human being is made up of body and soul. And we need both. We need a healthy body. We need to have healthy habits. We need to be in a good mood. We need to be confident, happy, optimistic, and all the other elements that make for a healthy life. At the same time, we also have the spirituality of our lives to constantly be growing, transcendence, seeking to fulfill the mission for which we were sent to this world as a chassid or any person to be a shliach of the Rebbe, shliach of the Ebrishter, in whatever capacity to bring godliness, teira, mitzvahs, tzedek and yesher, justice and virtue, and bring divine light into this world to make a dira b'tachtenim. So a parent that focuses on one without the other is actually not doing full justice to their role and their responsibility to care for, to nurture, to cultivate, to reinforce, to validate a child, whether it's a young child or a teenager. So if you see a parent that's focusing on one or the other, in this case saying spiritual but not physical, so there's a few factors here that need to be addressed. Is the parent someone you can speak to? Is there something you can talk in darker name, in a respectful way, in a pleasant way, and just say, you know, I see you care about my spiritual standards, but I want to also talk to you about some of my own, and I feel that you don't focus on that so much. For all you know, you may be surprised your parent may respond. If you feel they don't respond, or you've tried and they don't respond, then they may be going to the other parent and talking about it, or with a sibling. Definitely not in a confrontational way. Now, there may be deeper things going on here, and this is maybe a symptom. Then, of course, we have to get to the root of the issues. If all that doesn't work, I would consult, and maybe even simultaneously consult with a mashpi or a rav, especially someone who may know your father. So you can maybe get some advice. Maybe it's something that, in your relationship, that's tense or stressful or... Maybe there's misunderstanding, or maybe there's something deeper, as I said. Because I only have very little information here, I'm just trying to cover all the bases to be able to give you some tools how to proceed. I also refer you to episodes 221, 226, which talks also about relationship between parent and child. I'm sure we've talked about this over the hundreds of episodes more than once, but this is a a summation of the, the key points of this issue. Being that we spoke before about Vayechi Yaakov, about how Atzadik Schayes lives on, even more than during his lifetime, during physical soul, a soul and a physical body, as the Alter Rebbe explains in the Geras HaKedish. So fitting to that, and the fact that we have Yosef with us in Mitzrayim, in Negolus, and now after Gimel Thomas, clearly the Rebbe is with us. So, I thought appropriate, even though this question has been addressed more than once, but since it's always relevant, how can I have clarity in a decision I made if I can't get a direct answer from the Rebbe? And writing and reading letters and watching videos of the Rebbe haven't given me any further clarity. Another person writes, Dear Rabbi Jacobson, I'm a high school student who enjoys your classes. A few months ago, I was inspired to write to the Lubavitcher Rebbe 
online through the website. I did not receive a reply, but I still wrote again. I'm again very distraught because I want to write in, but I'm starting to think that maybe this is not for me. And I simply will never get an answer. What do you suggest I can do? So, to respond to both of you and to anyone else who has similar questions. A Reb is a Nasi Yisrael, the leader of the Jewish people. A shepherd, a Roya Neman, a faithful shepherd. The Yaziv Tzain Marisei. A faithful shepherd never forsakes the sheep of his flock. Just as he led then and served then, he continues to serve. In different ways. It's very clear. This is sources for this in many, many places. In Psukim, in Maimur Chazal, in Teresh in Kabbalah, and Chassidus especially. The Rebbe, after the Stalks of the Friedrich Rebbe, 71 years ago, spoke about this at length and wrote about it. And the Rebbe said, you write to the Rebbe. When the Rebbe the Rebbe will already find a way how to respond. He can respond directly, he can respond through a person, he can respond through a taxi driver, just as an example. Just keep your eyes open. The Rebbe will find a way to respond. That is how we believe and totally feel confident in Additionally, the Rebbe says, the Rebbe Tal's Bavonet. When you learn the Rebbe's Maimorim and Sichis, for all the years, and especially in the later years, there's always something there that will indicate the way when questions come up. I've, felt that I've seen this more than once. Questions I had when I wrote Toward a Meaningful Life, questions I have today. It may not be direct that the Rebbe's answering me specifically, but I find suddenly a Sichis and I say, oh, that answers a question I may have had. Dealing here now 337 episodes in my life, it is applied. So some questions that are posed, there are direct answers in a sikh, in a maimer, in an answer, in a tzatl, in a yechidus, in a story. But there are times that you don't find exactly. But I look at something and I say, ah, that can be applied here. So you have to sometimes use a little maven dover, meter dover, take an idea, methodology of the Rebbe and apply it. That's going a little deeper, and that may need also help with someone who knows more the Rebbe's methodology. So that's the answer. One way or another, you will find an answer. Just do not give up. And uh, it's not necessarily magical. It's either because the Rebbe addressed everything, like the Alta Rebbe says of Tanya, that all the answers to all the questions are, answered, are there in Tanya. The Alta Rebbe spoke to every one of us, seven generations, that knows every issue, but he understood he understood, he recognized. And we recognize him. So there's an element that a Rebbe sees the condition of the human condition. In addition, there are things that Rebbe specifically is answering, maybe answering even right now from wherever he is. Okay. Next question. As you see, the questions are not necessarily related, which is perfectly fine. This is my life, Chassidus Applied with a focus on the work Siddhis applied to my life. And life, of course, is diverse, multi-dimensional, and uh, wide, covering the entire spectrum of life's issues. And here we're demonstrating how Siddhis addresses them all. Okay. Okay, here's a question completely from a different category, the issue of intermarriage. With so many marriages happening today between Jews and not Orthodox converts, is there anything we can do to welcome them into the community in order to stem intermarriage? <clears throat> now, I know the question itself we all have an issue with, or at least I do and many of us do. I still read it because people are writing this, and you'll see from the question, and then I'll answer it. So please don't jump onto the question and say, many people sometimes write to me, how do you even read such a question? I said, did you listen to the answer? People have a question, and that's what makes it legitimate. Not because the question is legitimate, it's the person that's legitimate, and they have a sincere question, like the men, person who wrote earlier, we've had too much being silenced. Better to have a question, let it be spoken and addressed, and address it. The fact that some people shouldn't even have this question in the first place, so fine, so figure out how to be a better educator and a better parent to preempt issues like this. Hi, I am not sure if you would want to read this question on your show, so I'm including my email if you would have time to address it privately. Well, I am reading it. So, I hope you're listening. 
My question is about intermarriage and the Rebbe's mifza of me Yehudi. I wouldn't use the word mifza. It wasn't a mifza. It was a basic halachic thing. Me Yehudi was the law of who was a Jew, the law of return in Israel, that the Rebbe insisted it should include a convert to pi halacha, not just the word convert. I've heard a bit about, the, about, this, about, the, about this effort of the Rebbe's, but I heard that it is mostly concerning Eretz Yisrael. <coughs> My question is this. Unfortunately, there's a lot of intermarriage these days. I'm not just speaking about Jews marrying Christians, God forbid, but Jews marrying people who convert through Botei Dinim that are not Orthodox. My brother married someone who converted conservative. I feel bad because he knows that the Orthodox world would not accept her conversion, but they were not ready to go to an Orthodox Besden court. But my niece is now being raised as a Jew. This can go on for generations. For example, I have a distant relative who converted her daughters and granddaughters were all raised Jewish. They all consider themselves Jewish and married Jews. I found out from my father that her conversion may not have been orthodox. So there are many people since the state, since the start of Reform and Conservative Judaism who converted but are not halachically Jewish. Their kids are marrying Jews. We could sit around and say, too bad, that family will eventually just be completely non-Jewish one day. But what was the Rebbe's approach? Didn't the Rebbe want to find every Jew and help them stay Jewish? I guess my question is this. In North America, this is most likely where the problem really is. What is anyone doing about it? And what can we as individuals who are not shluchim do about it? I know that if a couple wants to marry and they happen to ask a Chabad rabbi to marry them, he would presumably look into their halachic status. And if the rabbi finds out that one of them isn't Jewish, he would ask them to convert halachically. But often these people will just go to a reform rabbi. So then we should just watch intermarriage happen. It just, I just want to hear what you have to say about this because I see it happening so often and it really saddens me. I'm not sure if there's anything to do about it. Okay, sadly a true reality and high numbers. It's a pechila datus, what can I say? So, while our hearts go out to every person in this world who may not understand better what it means to be Jewish, what it means to be not Jewish. As the Rebbe emphasizes, intermarriage is not just not good for the Jews, also not good for the non-Jew. It's the way God set up how marriage should be. Call it the mysteries of God's ways, if you don't have a better answer. There's certain things that certain people, lovely people, but they're not necessarily made to marry and have children and build a family. Just like there is all kinds of distinctions. Havdolis, distinctions between people, between entities, and so on. Without dismissing one or the other, that's not the issue here. So let's not see this as a discrimination. It's just the way it's structured. And yet there are so many people who don't know, who don't understand, who think, okay, you know what, I fell in love with someone. What difference does it really make? It's a human being. So of course the best solution would be preempting the whole thing by educating the entire generation, everyone, everywhere, all people. What really marriage, marriage is, the sanctity of marriage. What is intimacy? What it means to connect a male and female, connecting with the divine image? Who is appropriate to marry with each other? Who is not? Without dismissing again the individual. Just what marriage is, the sanctity of marriage, as God's established it. But that's not the situation practically right now. So each of us, in our own way, has to do whatever possible to educate our children and families, and by extension, even those family members they may not know, not in a preaching way, in a, in a condescending way, in a dogmatic way, but in a very tender, gentle, loving way, through example, what Judaism teaches about all these matters. Chassidus teaches what is an neshama, what is marriage, what's fitting, what's not fitting. I deal with this very often, where couples who are already either engaged or dating that are from two different faiths, Judaism and not, Jew and non-Jew, and I tried to explain to them that. And when anyone comes to me and says, this is an issue going on, I said, just get them to sit down to talk about what marriage is. I'm not saying that's going to solve the problem, but that's one thing we all can do. The more awareness and clarity, the more likely there'll be more, less 
problems. Is it guaranteed? Nothing is guaranteed in this world. But we know there are statistics that more Jewish education, more Jewish identity, the more likely a person will understand the importance. It's not about the conversion. It's not, it's not people don't feel the importance. And then once you have also this option of conversion, that's not halachic. We don't call it even a conversion. Then say, you know what? At least I also assuage that issue. But that also needs to be explained. What is halacha? What's wrong with a conservative conversion or reform conversion? Again, without throwing aspersions in any way, invalidating one. What, why is, what does halacha mean? Why does the conversion have to be a particular way? What's the importance? Why is it such a life-changing, dramatic event? Conversion. All this is part of the conversation. Now, to address directly your question, obviously the whole point of Torah and mitzvahs and the way God gave us halacha is for us to live up to God's mandate. We can't go ahead and start tampering with that. We can't say, you know what, since someone already converted that it's not halachic, meaning not the way God wanted, let's in some way embrace them. Embrace them, as a matter of fact, as human beings, absolutely. But embrace them as a Jew, that's undermining the whole point. Because the point is, God is telling us who and how we convert, and who and how we marry, and who we don't marry, and so on. So that's, off, that's obviously not the approach. Still has to be done pleasantly and beautifully and not in any confrontational and definitely not in any uh, didactic or uh, condescending way, as I mentioned. Now, the fact of the matter is that we are more lenient, that if someone did convert conservative or reform and consider themselves Jewish, we are more lenient than we would usually be. We usually dissuade someone. Here we would encourage, why don't you just go through now a halacha conversion? And, and it's easy to explain, by the way, without offending anyone. Maybe it's not, by the way. I always use this example. If you're getting insurance policy, or you're going to a lawyer, or you need a, um, some other form of uh, protection, you want AAA. You don't want AA, something graded AAA. Or, you want the best. As a rabbi, as a teacher, as an expert, think of me as a spiritual lawyer, if you wish, I wonder, why not do the best possible conversion without getting into whether why that one is not the best or not at all. But it's a way you can explain it. That one day your children get, will meet, will go to Israel. They want to meet someone and they're going to start checking and say the conversion was conservative reform. And it's not a standard that they accept. I'm not even getting into the debate. Let's be practical. It's like Ben Gurion, they say, when he was asked why he gave the Orthodox the right over kosher and so on. There are other opinions. He said, if I make a bar mitzvah, I'm not going to have two caterers. Whether I like it or not, I'm going to use the caterer that's totally glad kosher, because everybody eats glad kosher. The glad kosher people will not eat if it's not kosher. The kosher, non-kosher people, unfortunately, will, will so far still non-kosher, will eat the kosher. So I'm not going to have two caterers. So whether we like it, the standard or not, the highest standard is ultimately be the one. Why not live up to it? That way you're covered. So we do encourage people who've gone through a conversion, especially who are living like Jews and believe they're Jewish, go through the halacha one. You may find out it's not so much stricter than... Now some people say, I don't want to follow those laws. So then we got the issue again. They don't want to follow the laws of Judaism. To say, one second, who says the Orthodox have a monopoly? Not the, the answer is there was no reform and conservative 500 years ago at Mount Sinai. Moses was neither Orthodox conservative or reform. It's following the letter of the law and all its uh, interpretations. So, I don't have a quick fix what to do about it. We can daven, pray for these Jews. We can do all those things, as I said. But in addition, these are some of the background, some of the background issues. And of course, if you have any ability to influence in a positive way, use that influence. The earlier, the better. Do not wait. The later... Into it, the harder it is to change people's attitudes and preconceptions and stereotypes and so on. Okay. We are now going to go to one final question and the Chassidus question, then the essays. Okay. I find myself... Well, let me rephrase it. How are we supposed to have passion for things that are found in books rather than in the streets? I find that I'm constantly battling with desires that fuel my animal soul and not my godly soul. By books, this writer definitely means holy books. 
Another way of phrasing it, I find myself struggling with desires that fuel my animal soul. How are we supposed to have passion for things that are found in the holy books rather than in the streets? Well, my friend and my friends, this is the whole essence of Judaism. God put us into our world. He put the neshama into a goof, a nefesh abamis, a divine soul into a body and an animal soul. The whole tanya. And they battle with each other. That itself is the kavon. In Gan Eden, neshamas that don't have bodies, don't have the Yetzirah, don't have a nefesh abamis, don't have struggles. The kavon is to have a struggle. So like one that someone came to the Tzemach Tzedek and said, what should I do? I don't want to learn. I don't have a desire to learn. The Tzemach Tzedek responded, what should I do? I do have a desire to learn. The kavona, the intention is to not to have a desire and work on it. So number one is recognize that you're not the only one. All of us are dealing with this challenge to try to live up to what we, to our ideals, to the Torah ideals expected of us and dealing with the, at the same time dealing with the reality on the ground that we have temptations and we have desires and we have distractions and we're seduced by different forces that the Yetzirah tries to, tries to influence us. As he says in Tanya, that's the battle, that itself is the kavon. It's one. At the same time, as he explains in Tanya, we're given the strength to deal with it. Every challenge, we have the strength to deal with the challenge. All of Tanya is telling us the strength, the strength of Mayak Shalt Alalev, the mind over the heart. That is natural. The Avin Mesuteras, the innate and inherent love that every Jew has to God. The different tools and resources we were provided to deal with this challenge. And to add, which literally your question immediately brings to mind the story of Ravi Yitzchak Baditchever, who once turned to God, he was always looking for ways to find merit in the Jewish people. And he said to Hashem, he says, Akuntz, you showed. You showed us a trick. What did you do? You gave us in the physical world, you gave us all the temptations and all the, the f- desires that are not appropriate. And in the books, in the holy books, you wrote about Gan Eden and about Elam Hagbon, Atzillus, and all the higher worlds. Why don't you try it out the other way around? Give us in reality, in a very tangible way, divinity spirituality, godliness. And in the books, tell us about Elam Haza and all its challenges. Let that be in the books. Which acknowledges exactly this reality. In the language of Chassidus, it says that before the Tzimtzum, before God concealed His divine energy, the only consciousness was divine. Elikus bepshitus. Elikus was the obvious given reality. And Elam is beishachus. And the world, existence, the yesh is a novelty. In our reality, after the tzimtzum, it's like a glove turned inside out. What is reality is our existence, our yeshes, our, I feel myself, the, what's, the t- temptations and the challenges of life. And the, and lakus is, is bishachus. The divine is the novelty, like written in the books. The goal is that in a world like ours, where we feel the tangible forces of the animal soul, and how it tugs at us and tempts us. That there we should come to realize through learning Torah and doing mitzvahs and Avedis Atfila, especially learning Chsidis, to reverse and start learning the perspective from above. That the truth is the divinest true reality. And this is the superimposed one. Only here to bring the best out of us and to transform this world into our home for the divine. Adira betachtenim. Adira leiz baruch betachtenim. So, a good segue now would be the Chassidus question. Please explain Tanya chapter 7. Why is it so bad to enjoy life in a kosher way? Dear Rabbi, thank you for your programs. My question is as follows. Recently I was learning Chitas, Tanya chapter 7 and 8, which talks about so-called Jewish demons, things which are kosher of themselves, but when done not for the sake of heaven, make a lot of problems, namely food when people are just eating food because it tastes good and intimacy even with your wife. After mikveh, because a person enjoys intimacy. What are we to make of it? What happens when a person likes his wife's cooking and intimacy with his wife? Why is that so bad? Are, not standards a bit, are these standards not a bit too high for us? Thanks in advance. But think about it now in the context of what I just said. The Alter Rebbe knows this challenge, or else he wouldn't write Tanya. We know this challenge. And he's not criticizing somebody, because that's human nature, is that you enjoy life. We're talking now in a kosher way. 
He calls that klipas nega. It's a mix. It can go either way. You can elevate the food. You can elevate the intimacy. You can elevate your material life for divine purpose when you do it l'shem shamayim. Or you can do it just neutrally. Or if you do it in self-indulgence, you actually l'fisha, just l'fisha, temporarily, you bring it down into the shalosh klipas atweis level, which are a negative form of energy. But you have always the capacity to turn it around and free it, those sparks, when you use it for the right purpose. When you do tshuva. As he explains there. This is even with kosher things. What's the Rebbe saying? He's actually giving us a beautiful message here. The highest standard is eneg movade, Nothing but godliness. The only reality is God. And God's presence. And the world was created for you to make that a channel, a conduit for divine expression. That's what he's saying. That's why even one drop, even if it's a neutral thing like food or intimacy in the sense where it's, a, it's kosher and everything is being done according to Allah, but even one drop of self, in a sense, is not recognizing and appreciating that it should all be part of the divine. At the same time, of course, the Alter Rebbe understands it's a struggle. But, he, but should he say, not, not tell us what the highest standard is? That's the highest standard. So each of us has to measure and see where we are and what we can do to improve, to add a little Hashem Shemaim when you eat a meal. You, might, you can enjoy it. But also think about a moment. Think a few moments about what it will do for your Vedas Hashem, how it strengthens you, how it can help you serve God better, how you can help you serve other people, be kinder. And the same thing with intimacy. Enjoy. Absolutely. Apitera. Shabbos, Enik Shabbos, eating and drinking is a mitzvah. But also think a little about God, God's purpose. If you don't, it's not the Dover Osir, he says clearly. The Fisha, in a sense, there's a concealment because you don't have the divine shining through every part of our lives. That's our goal, and that's what the Alter Rebbe is telling us. People misunderstand Pedic Zion's Ches, they think it's all about the negative. No, it's the highest standard. When you're standing, when you love someone fully, you want that love to permeate 24 7. Even the minor details, even the mundane physical things. And that's what God expects of us. That's what Alta Rebbe is writing there. And then we, each of us has to figure out where we are and how we can grow. Grow slowly, grow quicker, whatever works in each person's situation. Okay, with that, let's now do the, 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 the essays. This year has been the sixth annual My Life Chassidah Supplied Essay and Creative Contest. We added a creative track people submitting whether poetry, music, song, videos, tapestry, sculpture, embroidery, you name it. Unbelievable entries applying chassidus to an issue in life. So we're now up to, we've been doing each week, we go down the list from the top winners. We're up to the ninth place winners. And I've been doing four each week. Because we have four, four. We have the English essay, we have the Hebrew essay for men, the Hebrew essay for women, and the creative track. So the winners of the ninth place, here we go. Complacency and how to be dissatisfied with it. Kobe Berkowitz, age 18, student, Kesser Taylor College, Sydney, Australia. The name tells you all. Complacency, comparing what it says, who is the wealthy one, the one that is satisfied with their lot. And yet, as the Altareb explains, that should only be in physical matters, not in spiritual matters. And Apichsid is how we fight complacency and we always look to aspire to higher levels. A good, inspiring, powerful essay. The essay in Hebrew for men, Dibur Veshipur, essentially an analysis of speech, how we use our speech. Chassidus teaches us to align our speech, not just not to be negative speech, to use it for the highest and most sublime and refined purposes. Meir Ha'itan, Kedomim, Israel. The Hebrew essay for women. Rigishut Gavab Mishnat Chassidut Chabad. Highly sensitive people known as HSPs. Highly sensitive persons. Chayim Mizrahi Kfar Chabad, Israel. Very powerful analysis of this uh, characteristic of being highly sensitive. Using Chassidus to apply to a a modern, a modern, a contemporary psychological issue 
or psychological personality type. Using chassidus, how we monitor, how we harness, and how we temper emotions to be sensitive, but also in a way that does not become harmful to us or to others. And finally, the creative, the edges of illusion, poetry. Yehudas Fishman, 876, self-employed community educator, Boulder, Colorado. And in her opening cover letter to what she presents, Yehudas writes, this poem is based on the concept of unity within multiplicity. The sources are from Tanya chapter 20 and Shari Yechud Vamuna chapters 1 and 2. The poem is connected to the idea that Elam, the world, can mean concealment of the divine, but also in this world of Malchus is the deepest revelation of the essence, as in Iraq, in its state of Bittl being mostly sustain, highly sustained by Sevev Kalalman, the transcendent energy. The takeaway is to blend Hasidic teachings with the growing modern sensibility about the power of the earth and its components. Some people think that holiness means being disconnected or disregarding the physical, Gashmius. This poem conveys the principle of Dira B'tachtenim in a creative way and helps people realize that Api Vayedet Hashem Al-Hasinai, God descending on Mount Sinai, the perceived gap between earth and heaven is indeed an illusion. And with that, my friends, we conclude this episode 337 of My Life, Siddhis Applied. Everyone have a very blessed week, a very simchadika week, a healthy week. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. Be blessed and be well. Thank you. This program is brought to you by My Life, Hasidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at hasidusapplied.com slash donate.